Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Sponsor Talk Podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways and how brands interact with properties in sports, arts, film, music, you name it. I'm today's co-host, Jason Smith. You can follow me at SponsorshipJ on Twitter or on LinkedIn to keep engaged with our Sponsor Talk community. Hopefully today you learn something new about the industry and challenges you to keep thinking differently. All right, I'd like to introduce Paula Beadle, CEO of Caravel Marketing and founder of the Sponsorship Mastery. Thanks for coming on the podcast today, Paula. You are so welcome, Jason. Thanks for the invitation. I love the energy. I needed some energy on this podcast, and so I couldn't think of a better person to have. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So before we get, uh, well, as we get started, I should say, I like to to have my guests just tell about how you grew up, what life was like growing up for you. Um, and then uh, we'll kind of transition from there just to give a little, ba- a little bit of a background about you. Uh, sure. I'd be happy to, to share that with you. I am from Minneapolis, born and raised. Uh, it becomes, you know, pretty clear, particularly after I've had a few glasses of wine that I am <laughs> a true Minnesotan. Um, I have, uh, uh, I came, I came to Seattle actually about 16 years ago to, uh, to join Washington Mutual. And I had also at that time in my life, my husband and I had been having conversations around, you know, do we, are we going to stay in Minneapolis our whole life? Right. Or do, do we want to have some other kinds of experiences? And so we were thinking about either moving to the East coast or the West coast. And right at that time, I got a call from a recruiter at Washington Mutual who was looking for somebody outside of banking. And I am as far outside of banking as you could be. And uh, so they wanted somebody to come on board and, and manage their sponsorships. So we moved to Seattle uh, 16 years ago and now call it home. Seattle's beautiful. I grew up in Portland, Oregon, so I'm a Northwest native as well. But, um, you know, we have similar stories here, Paula. So I, I worked for a Mountain America Credit Union for nearly 10, nearly 10 years. And they wanted to hire someone not in banking as well. Someone who could oversee the sponsorship. And, and you did the same thing with Washington Mutual. What was that like coming in from, from more of the sponsorship world and, and then working for Washington Mutual? Well, I I had to remind people often that, Hey, I'm not a banker. I'm a marketer who works in a bank. Uh, I, I didn't even, you know, I wasn't even good about balancing my my checkbook. <laughs> oh, I feel you. So, that was the same way. Right? <laughs> now, of course, that's not an issue. But I I was I was pretty out outside of banking. And uh, so I did have to remind people about that. But I, I have to say what attracted me to WAMU at the time was was the leadership. And it was the person I was going to be working for. Her name was Jane Zaletsky, and she was further outside of banking than I was, right? I mean, she was just, 
she had this energy and this passion and she had really come from the entertainment industry and uh, very well known, you know, nationally. I just thought she was so dynamic. And my father taught me a very valuable lesson early in my career when I was trying to make a decision about taking a job. And he said to me, honey, there is no such thing as a great job with a horse boss. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those words of wisdom have stuck with me my entire career. And so decisions uh, about my career have largely been based upon who am I going to be working with? Side, you know, day in, day out, shoulder to shoulder. And it was really because of Jane that I took the job at Washington Mutual. And, and it was also, you know, the leadership. I mean, the bank, for, for those who re remember WAMU, it was very quirky. Uh, they had a sense of humor. They, they, they weren't like other banks. Well, and they, called that really, they called themselves WAMU for one. Yeah, that's right. Thing, During right? the time that I was there, we had gone through a brand change and, and they became known as WAMU. And that was already how we referred to the bank internally. But you know, it was, I, I met incredibly smart people there, very creative. Uh, I had an awesome team. It was, it was really uh, probably one of the best jobs that I had in my career. And I was heartbroken when I found myself at the center of the financial meltdown crisis in 2008. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I, I imagine I would have stayed with the bank. I was always pulled, you know, towards having my own business. I'd had my own business in my late twenties when, when to, to be honest, I probably wasn't quite ready for it at that time, but I, I got hired by my biggest client, which was the Minnesota Vikings at the time. And I was so pulled to that opportunity because I was going to be one of the few women at the time in the league in a position uh, as the director of marketing. So that really pulled me uh, in into that job. And so I left my business and went to work for the for the Vikings. Yeah. And first of all, before we go into the Vikings, there, where did you get your, your first start in kind of coming out of college? Where how did you get that first that first job out of college? So actually I was in school and I was on summer break and a family friend asked if I would fill in for a vacationing receptionist at this iconic radio station, KS95 in Minneapolis. And I was determined in that short period of time to show them what I was made of and why they should hire me. And I was uh, young. I mean, I was 20 years old at the time and the promotion director you know, she, she recognized, she saw something in me and she took a chance and she offered me a position in the promotion department and I took it and I didn't go back to school. You know, I was, I was so anxious to begin my career and I was not a great student. And so this just felt like I had won the lottery. I was so excited. And then through that work, I got to know a promotion company that did uh, broadcast media promotions in Indianapolis, and they offered me a position. And without hesitation, I moved to Indiana. And then what happened is that promotion director that hired me, she left and they offered me the job. Oh, and wow. Uh, and I took it and I was, I was pretty young at the time and I came back to Minneapolis and I, I can still remember, 
having lunch at this uh, restaurant in St. Paul with the with the program director and morning guy. And he said to me, there are so many people that want this job who have so much more experience than you do, Paula. Why should I hire you? And I said, because what I don't know I can learn and what I do know can't be taught. And I knew at that moment I had the job. I could just tell by the look on his face. And, you know, Jason, the funny thing is, I don't even know where that those words of wisdom came from. But I, I said it and got the job and so, uh, came back to uh, Minneapolis and went back to work at the radio station. And then from there, I went on to work at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival. And so anybody who's wondering, yes, I actually wore a Renaissance costume to work <laughs> uh, during, during the festival. <laughs> what was your weapon of choice? Uh, my weapon of choice, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I had quite a crush on the Robin Hood character at the time. So <laughs> I would probably have to, and I am an archer, so I'd, I'd have to say the bow and arrow, but not necessarily, a, you know, a Renaissance uh, uh, weapon. <laughs> I'm That's not sure that qualifies, but uh, yeah, those were, I, I met my husband there and I, and, and my dearest friend. Uh, they're still friends today and we met there. So a great, great time in my life. And, and, uh, where did you go to school? I think you went to a few different universities, correct? Yeah, I did. Uh, that's uh that's a great question. I have a <laughs> friend of mine who once introduced me as, uh, um, the, you know that Paula is smart, smart because she went to four colleges, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure that was somehow meant uh, as a as a compliment. But um, yeah, I I am uh, absolutely lifelong student, uh, still waiting for my honorary degree, but studied uh, sociology and executive uh, leadership. So that's that's great. And so, when did you start? Um... Caravel Marketing? You know, I started Caravel when I left Washington Mutual. Um, okay. and, and I would say at that time, I didn't even have the name on it, right? I left Washington Mutual. I was at the center of the financial meltdown crisis. I was with the largest bank who had ever failed in history. And it was not a great time to, you know, hang a shingle out. And so I did some consulting work. And a matter of fact, most of the consulting work that I did in the first four or five years was with Jane, who I had worked with at Washington Mutual. Uh, she and I, you know, we just were not done working together. And so we did quite a few uh, really great projects. And then right around 2013 is when I uh, officially put the name Caravel on the company, you know, filled out all the paperwork, uh, made yeah, it a made legal it corporation. And do you, do you focus mostly, what, what do you focus mostly on? Sales, valuation, what type of consulting services do you do from a sponsorship standpoint? Working with more brands than properties? Yeah, most of our work is on the property side in sponsorship uh, strategy and sales. Uh, as as you know, Jason, my my real passion though is, is helping uh, the industry and the people within it thrive, but uh, our consulting work is, yeah, mostly on the property side. Uh, we also love to do work on the brand side as well, but mostly working with properties. And we tend to work with properties outside of professional sports. 
Yeah. And, and why is that? Do you just feel like there's more of a need there? I think that's a really good question. Um, I, you know, I love professional sports and, and worked in the NFL early in my career. Um, but my feeling was that sponsorship is very much a part of their culture. Uh, they have the expertise, they have the team, and they they don't necessarily look out too far outside of their organization for you know strategic um, support. And so to me, it just felt like uh, I could be more valuable, more useful to um, properties that were uh, interested in sponsorship or wanted to launch a sponsorship initiative, or they wanted to help their people grow or improve their assets or their sales process. And so I just found that I could do my best work and more valuable work uh, out, outside of sports. And it doesn't mean that I wouldn't love to work in sports. I, I really would. Yeah. Uh, that has just been my experience, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Doing that, I'm sure you've worked on some unique opportunities as well over your career. I mean, not only with WAMU, but also with Caravelle as well. But what are some of those unique, what are some unique sponsorships that you've had, had the privilege to work on? Well, you know, I, I have bought and sold over the course of my career, everything from multi-million dollar naming rights to uh, racing pigs. I mean, I, I really have bought and sold all of it. And uh, pigs, what was that? Tell that story. (laughs) Yeah, that was racing pigs. I worked with the uh, Washington state fair for over 10 years. And so uh, we, we had a lot of really unique creative sponsorships uh, that we had done there. I I would say, and racing pigs was one of them. um, I would say that a few of the highlights for me was around my my time at Washington Mutual, where we launched a music platform as our as our sponsorship uh, strategy, and that led us to a deal with the Hollywood Bowl and the Greek Theater and Madison Square Garden, where we were providing benefits and experiences to our members. And of course, you know that's. Uh, a common sponsorship uh, strategy today, but it wasn't at that time. It was very, it was very new to create uh, entrance gates for WAMU, you know, card carrying uh, members and pre-event parties for them. So that was that. So that was a really exciting time to be a part of, um, of that kind of a, a music strategy. And I would have to say, uh, one of my other favorite partnerships was with the Special Olympics USA Games and Amazon. I, you know, they really showed me what it looks like to have a partner who you are truly collaborating with to the benefit of athletes. Yeah. And it was such a great experience uh, working with them on, on the Special Olympics USA Games. Well, I think anytime you're working on uh, with organizations that that focus on giving back nonprofits, right? Some unique things that you can do there, but there's nothing better than activating those and seeing the smiles on kids' faces or whatever the cause is. I'm super passionate about that. We we did that with Mountain America as well of of making sure that you're that we're giving back and and um, even with my current company now, we do the we do the same thing and. There's not an element of of giving back in your uh, in your portfolio 
then you're missing out. So, I mean, those that, those that are selling sponsorships, they should always be finding ways to give back those brands that are wanting to be involved in sponsorships. A community element is key um, to, to the success, I think, of, of a sponsorship and, and um, just always find ways to give back. I think it uh, comes back tenfold from what I've seen. I don't know if you've seen the same thing, but that, that's been my experience. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you on that. And we have a, a goal that every partnership proposal that we send out has a social good initiative or connection in it. Awesome. And I think that's, that is where we are. That's where we're headed. Yeah. And, and I, I would invite, you know, everyone to join me in, in that challenge, right? Yeah. Challenge yourself that every partnership has a social good element to it. Love that. What, what do you feel? I mean, we just talked about, Hey, everything should have a social, a social goodness element to it, but what do you feel should be the foundation of every sponsor relationship? Collaboration. I, I think that the most successful partnerships are the ones that come together because there's this level of mutual uh, commitment to mutual success, right? That yeah, it's, yeah. it's a collaboration. It's not me going in and pitching the sponsorship and, and, and them, you know, listening and coming back and saying yes or no, or getting into a negotiation. It really begins with a conversation about goals, right? And what are we both trying to achieve and how can we do that together? And that the proposal comes out of a collaboration and a brainstorm and an exchange of ideas and really understanding uh, the needs. So it, it's, it's, it's really uh, we're working together, right, to find the right partnership. Yeah, and I think on top of that, this kind of leads into my next question of of how you evaluate sponsorships, right? From a from evaluation standpoint, of what what are those key elements? What are the KPIs that should be looked at in conjunction with with a sponsorship? That way, and I've sat and listened to you talk about KPIs before with your sponsorship mastery conference, which we're going to transition to in just a second, but. But what do you when you evaluate sponsorships and look at KPIs and things? What what do you what do you focus on most um, with with that? How do you how do you evaluate them? Well, this is certainly the number one challenge in the sponsorship industry. Right, is understanding how to value the partnership, and so we've we've created a pricing model that helps us to. Uh, value the assets and and probably more importantly the intangible benefits and so it is a art and science uh, approach but I think having a pricing methodology is really important uh, because it also as a sponsorship seller it helps you to answer that question how did you determine this price and you need to be able to answer that in a way that you know, builds confidence, right? With the sponsor that you're, that you're talking to. And, and the answer cannot be, well, because that's our budget, because that's our goal, because that's the money that we need to put on our event. Uh, the, the price of the proposal or the opportunity is based on the value of the marketing opportunity and the association, right, with the brand. So I think it's really important to have a pricing methodology, whatever that is, um, but, you know, first, 
what I think is most critical is that the brand and the audience uh, are in perfect alignment, right? So how can this sponsorship further um, speak to the audience that you want to engage with, but also how can it complement uh, your social good initiatives? How can it move a current campaign or a strategy forward, right? So I, I think those are the most important things in a, in a sponsorship uh, to evaluate. How does this sponsorship connect with your audience? How does it further your current initiatives? And how does it align with your brand? How does it help you to build loyalty with your audience? Couldn't have said it better myself. No, that was that's per, that's perfect. I think ultimately a brand needs to receive some sort of an ROI or an ROO, depending on how you really want to look from an investment or an objective standpoint. But there has to be some sort of a an element of value back to, to the brand. And, and sometimes that's what the, the market bears, right? Um, sometimes it can be inflated based on what, what uh, companies are paying or, or not, right? But there has to be a reason. I had, I had an individual one time tell me, hey, we're going to, I want to charge you this X rate for this specific asset. And I, and I asked him, I said, well, why are you, you going to charge that much? For it, and they said, "Well, that's just what we feel like we can get." And I wasn't really happy with that <laughs> that response. I said, "Hey, what? Haven't you gone to like similar markets, similar similar types of of opportunities, and done a, you know, outlined a case study on why and and X Y Z and what the value is?" And um, and they were just floored by that. But I I think that's just an education. Someone who doesn't necessarily know how to speak to a brand right? But you have to have an educated answer back to a brand on why something is evaluated and has a certain value tied to it. Um, Jason, I'm so glad that you brought this topic up because I think this is, this is one of the things that inspired me to start Sponsorship Mastery. And that was um, that lack of education, as you said. And, you know, that kind of approach, it, it lacks um, price integrity. And that is something that as an industry, we need to change, right? Yeah. Because we've taught brands how to work with us. We have, we've taught brands that if we make a, an ask for, you know, $100,000 to provide certain benefits and assets, that will take it for 50,000 because uh, many people do that, right? And I know that for you know quite a few years, my negotiating position was always a bit weaker because there were so many people who would negotiate that way. And I think you know if there was something I really want people to take away from our conversation today is be prepared to answer that question in a way that has integrity. So I love what you just said, Jason. What are similar events and similar size markets doing? What's happening in the market? What is the science behind the media impressions, right, yeah. of your of your proposal? But you need to be able to answer that in a way that shows your level of business, you know, sophistication, and uh, and that when you do negotiate, you need to also take something out because that that's that shows that you have integrity in your pricing strategy. Yeah, there has to be some willingness to give a little bit too, right? And show that that partnership. But no, I love that. 
Love that. Um, and you did create the Sponsorship Mastery, which is an amazing conference. I've, I've attended myself and, and been there. And you have hundreds of, of sponsorship professionals that come for three days to participate. This last one um, and back in September was uh, phenomenal. I, you were in three different locations in three different days, and I don't even know how you did it. It was like you teleported from one place to the next. You know, it seemed like such a great idea. And there were people trying to tell me that there's a lot of uh, potential here for disaster. <laughs> and I honestly, uh, I, I was so focused on this idea of broadcasting the summit from three different locations over three different days because we couldn't do the event live. And the year before, I literally did it in my living room, right? So it was all virtual. And I wanted the audience to have a, a, a sneak peek into different venues. I wanted them to see something other than my living room. Uh, I wanted them to see the venue. But it was also a way for us to then bring speakers in from that area. So the speakers were live and the audience was virtual. And so it was it was really a lot of fun. But yeah, we started at uh, Summerfest, right? World's largest music festival in Milwaukee. Yep. And then yeah. and then we drove down to Chicago and we were at the uh, Chicago, the iconic uh, Wrigley Field with the Chicago Cubs and then jumped on a plane and got back to Seattle and we were at T-Mobile Park on the third day. Pretty, It was incredible. I had no idea how you even did it. Like you could. You could not have a delayed flight. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> there was no room for error. We, you know, we also had, I mean, we had 30 different speakers, three locations. We had three different crews. Uh, the technology on making all of this happen. Uh, you know, we, we, had, we had some really fun surprises uh, along the way. And um, we had some windy days and we, uh, we actually lost a huge monitor, uh, fell over when we were at Summerfest. Um, so it, it was not, you know, without a, a few uh, a few mishaps, but it really like was a lot event, of fun. Though. And pardon me? Just like any event, though, things happen and the show goes on. Right. That's absolutely right. So I am really looking forward to being live back in person next year. And uh, we're focusing all of our attention on coming back together. Yeah. So your first, the first year was, was, um, was live. And then the last two were virtual, correct? Yeah, that's right. And it was, I, I have to say, it was a really hard decision to make um, because it's, it's, it's a big financial investment. Uh, during a really, you know, tough time for us and also just the time and energy that goes into it. But it, I just felt like I had to do it, right? I felt like it was so important to the industry that there was a way to bring people together and, uh, and, and I wanted to, you know, be a source of inspiration and share, you know, use this as, a, as an opportunity to learn from each other. So it, it felt really important for me to do it over the last two years. And um, yeah, like I said, can't wait to be back in person. Yeah. What, what's the plan next year? A little sneak peek into next year? Where, where's it going to be? Is it going to be in Seattle? I don't think we're going to be in Seattle. Okay. Uh, I think I think we're going to be somewhere else. So here's the idea is that we're we're going to host the summit from a different city every year. 
it will give people a chance to, you know, see some of the, uh, the, the venues and the partnerships in particular markets. It helps us to pull in speakers more from uh, the, the region in that area. And we just want to bring attention to, you know, some of, uh, some of our favorite places. And so I think next year we're going to, we're going to be in Nashville. So that's a, that is a sneak peek. I have Nashville. not said that out loud to anyone. Awesome. No, that's great. Nashville. That'll be fun. That'll be a ton of fun. Um, yeah, that's what we're working on right now with, uh, with the team at uh, Music City. So we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty excited uh, about that. That'll be fun. Yeah, the idea of being in Nashville. Yeah. And how do you, how do you I mean, you, you're going to go to different areas and pull speakers from those, those areas too, but how do you typically get your speakers to, to come? You had some really, some really influential people at the conference. Um, and that takes a lot of networking. So would love to just hear, hear about that and how you, you know, get people involved. Yeah. Thank you. They were, uh, so generous, you know, uh, all of, all of the speakers, uh, that participated. I just, I feel so grateful to all of them. Um, so, you know, the first speaker that I reached out to this, this last year was, uh, was Scott O'Neill. And I actually reached out to him while he was still at Harris Blitzer uh, Sports and Entertainment. And then, of course, he had left and, and we know that he published uh, his book. Um, and so I was really excited about um, bringing him on, on board and was so grateful that he really quickly said, you know, said yes. And then as I looked around, what was what's going on in the industry? You know, I had to I had to bring uh, Mike McCann from Amazon, right, to talk about the Climate Pledge Arena because that is Super that is just a, it's really good. Yeah, right. I mean, it is a game changing partnership uh, between OVG and and Amazon, and so I wanted Mike to tell that story, but also just talk about his incredible career and. Um, so that was really exciting uh, as well. I mean, all of them, right? So what what I do is is look for people uh, who have been in the industry for a long period of time, uh, people who have been in different uh, different positions within the industry, and have been both on the brand side and also on the property side. I look for speakers who are generous. Uh, in the information that they'll share. And it's also really important to me that we don't have speakers who are standing on the stage talking about uh, what they've accomplished in their careers and talking about, you know, their partnerships. I mean, that's, there's real value to that. Don't get me wrong. And we want some speakers who that's what they're doing because people want to hear from them and they want to learn from them. But what we also want is we want an immersive learning experience. We want people to interact with each other and to learn from each other. It's been one of the, the, the most challenging things over the last couple of years doing a virtual event and why I'm so excited for people to come back together because I just imagine people sitting around tables together talking about their challenges and uh, and and speaking with their colleagues, you know, it's so fun to to talk with people who really understand sponsorship and the challenges that you have and speak your language. And so, um, I 
I look for speakers who have a story to tell, but uh, also want to help to facilitate that kind of learning experience. And then we're also looking for a really broad range. You know, I I want to be speakers who represent the brands, uh, who represent arts, who represent universities, who represent Parks and Rec. I mean, all the different properties that um, that are out there. And, uh, you know, in addition to, you know, the entertainment venues and, and sporting events. That's great. And you, you shared a bunch of key findings at the end of the, the summit there. Um, what are some what are some of those findings that you shared that you think would be interesting to, to share with the listeners today? Yeah, we conducted a research study back in August and September, and shared some of those findings uh, at the at the conference at the summit this year, and so yeah, I'd be happy to happy to share some of those. But I have a question for you. Yeah, yeah. What? How about you? What was your takeaway from the summit? Yeah one one of the things that one of the things that I that I really liked there was a bunch that that I took away from the summit. I thought this was an interesting interesting stat. Was it Misha? I believe that that shared it, which was. 91% of customers say they'll give a referral out, but only 11% actually ask, which I thought was really interesting. And, and um, from a sales standpoint, how much more revenue you can drive just by asking that, that simple question. So um, I thought that was an interesting takeaway for me at the conference. Yeah, I learned so much from Misha every time I talk with him. And I remember when he said that because I could see everybody right on the screen. And and I think even I had sort of a physical reaction to that because we realized, oh, wow, I don't do that. I need to do I need yeah, to do, you do it more for sure. <laughs> right. Um, so some of the some of the the data, I guess I could share some specific numbers with you, but but let me first just share with the audience a kind of a high level overview. Um, what we learned is that companies are spending, planning to spend the same or more in 2022, but they are sponsoring fewer events. And so I think what that means is that sponsors really want to go, uh, they want to go deeper in their partnerships, exactly what you and I've been talking about today, Jason, and, and go beyond traditional benefits. And I think that, um, it's also important to know that sponsors have higher expectations of rights holders and properties. And I wanted to say this as a follow-up to something that you had said earlier, and that is, you know, people who make decisions about sponsorships and who buy sponsorships, they are fighting for those budgets internally. They're spending as much of their time internally uh, talking about sponsorship and the benefits of it with their marketing team, because let's face it, there are other marketing disciplines and channels that are that are easier to measure. And that makes it a bit safer, right, for marketing yeah, spend. Yeah. Yep. And so it's really, we have to help those people uh, with the brands who are in sponsorship and uh, and are held to that high level of accountability, but they they definitely have higher expectations of rights holders, and we need to be really well prepared for that because the industry is is evolving rapidly, and that is a long overdue change, but it's happening quickly, and so we need to be really well prepared for it. Um, 
so spending is you know spending will increase over time but the number of events uh that are being sponsored or the number of events that sponsors are doing will uh will decrease i think that's really important um successful sponsorships will be creative they will be customized uh and they will be centered around the guest experience and i think there's definitely a lot of new sponsors that are entering the space and so that's very exciting certainly in the cryptocurrency area um i think that you know the focus is going to shift also on the rights holder side from working with as many sponsors that we can possibly get right to working with fewer sponsors who better align with the brand and with the audience and i think overall sponsorships will have to uh drive business results and they will have to support social initiatives so I think high level, that's that's what we're going to see in the sponsorship industry in, in 2022. Um, You'll probably see a lot so more, ex more exclusivities that way too. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Jason. Um, some of the specific numbers um, I can share with you. Top three objectives that uh, sponsors told us are most important to them. Increased brand loyalty, number one, product service uh sales and trial number two and then community social marketing programs is number three so that th those are the most important objectives to sponsors uh esports entertainment venues arts and culture uh are are the properties that sponsors are most interested in at the moment but i yeah. i will say that for anyone who's in other properties uh, don't fret i mean it's pretty even across uh, across the board, certainly a lot of attention continues to be, you know, focused in the sports area as well. Um, and sponsors are looking for program execution and creative services uh, production and, and production. And I, I imagine that is the result of just having uh, fewer um, having less capacity, right? That they need more, more help from their partners on the execution and audience research. And that speaks specifically to uh, the, you know, the challenge of showing the results uh, on the sponsorship. Very cool. That's awesome. So many good nuggets right there that hopefully some listeners can take away and, and uh, some, some free, free knowledge that Paul is dropping for you right now from uh, from the conference. But are there trends with COVID that people in the sponsorship industry should be aware of specifically surrounding the, the pandemic? When sponsorship and social good in intersect, it's very impactful. Yeah. And I believe it was Nielsen Research that recently did a report about the changing value of sponsorship. And it talks about how brands are shifting towards purpose and community benefits that they really are putting their money, you know, where their mouth and their and their heart is. And you, you have to remember that, uh, or you have to keep this in mind, that half of the younger population has a greater interest in brands that act in socially responsible ways. Right. And also that right holders who have sustainability initiatives are going to generate more sponsorship revenue. Your growth is going to come from social good initiatives. Um, and I think that's really important and has been a result of, of COVID. So, again, going back to earlier point we made, right? Yeah. Don't let a proposal go out without having that, without understanding who, what the sponsor's social initiatives are and how your sponsorship can support those.
Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I, I do have a few final questions here that I that I ask all of my my guests that come on. The first one being, what makes you get up in the morning and do what you do? One of my favorite quotes is, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Uh, every day really does feel like a new day for me. And I, I am driven by the possibilities, right, of what the, di- the day may bring. And I, I think the other thing that really inspires me is when someone tells me I've helped them to think differently or I've given them a new idea, uh, that, that inspires me. That, that charges me up. That's awesome. I love that. And what do you feel like the future holds for Caravel and the Sponsorship Mastery? I'm feeling really optimistic about the year ahead uh, for Caravel. We're working on the World University Games that will be held in Lake Placid in 2023. Uh, I think that this project will be a career highlight because it's challenging and because of the complexities, uh, but we are part of a a winning uh, team who is committed to creating best-in-class partnerships. And my my goal with the World University Games is that it becomes a case study in partnership marketing that we can all learn from. Uh, I think for the Sponsorship Mastery Summit, uh, the industry needs us more than ever. We'll continue to take a leadership role to inspire and inform the industry. We've got big plans for the 2022 Summit, uh, which I gave you a sneak peek about today. We. We are listening to our audience. We're having a lot of conversations to understand what's important to them so we can host the industry's best and biggest uh, gathering of sponsorship marketers. And we're also gonna continue to host webinars and courses and and workshops throughout the year. And I'm I'm gonna be making some announcements uh, soon on those as well. Yeah, and I was gonna ask you just to conclude, where can um, people go find out about the Sponsorship Mastery Summit? if they want to be involved oh, and participate. Yeah, thanks for asking, Jason. Uh, sponsorshipmastery.com. Perfect. That's great. Go visit sponsorshipmastery.com. And it's very much worth the the investment to be a part of. I was part of it last year. and and uh, But go there and check it out. And I'm sure uh, you can follow Paula on LinkedIn as well. She's got a lot of content that she, she pulls out there as well. But again, pa- Paula, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Jason, thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation and, and also all of all of your support. Thank you. Paula Beadle, CEO of Caravel Marketing and founder of the Sponsorship Mastery Summit. Thanks, Paula. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and at the Sponsorship Space on LinkedIn and join our community if you're interested in learning more. Thanks and have a great day.